Welcome to The GAC Files, a podcast about the people, issues and ideas driving Global Affairs Canada. Bienvenue au dossier d'AMC, un balado sur les gens, les enjeux et les idées qui animent Affaires mondiales Canada. And now, introducing your host, Global Affairs Canada's Deputy Minister of International Trade, John Hannaford. Voici votre animateur, John Hannaford, sous-ministre du Commerce international d'Affaires mondiales Canada. OK, bonjour tout le monde. Uh, C'est un plaisir d'avoir l'occasion de, de parler un peu avec uh, un, un de nos collègues, uh, Bob Ray, qui est notre ambassadeur actuel uh, auprès de l'ONU. Um, Bob is obviously an extremely well-known person to all of us, um, and we could obviously talk about any number of topics, but uh, I'm really pleased that he wanted to discuss with us today some of the issues around mental health, um, which is a topic that um, he has discussed in the past uh, in a number four, and I, I think it's one that's particularly timely for us as we are all living through the experiences that we're living through right now. Um, so, Bob, first of all, welcome. It's Thank uh, you, John. It's to, to chat with you. Good um, to be with you. It's a pleasure. Look, I, I just am interested uh, just off the top as to why this is a topic that you've you've been quite public about, uh, and I, I, you know, it's it's one that. Um, is of personal interest to me as well. And I, I, it, I think there's a, as I've said before in this podcast, I think there's a real institutional interest for us here to be serious about issues around mental health. But I'm interested in your experience and why this is one that you've you've attached importance to. Well, I, I mean, I've, I guess at a, at a certain level as a, as a teenager and growing up, uh, I, I was always very interested in in people's emotions and, and uh, talking about, you know, the mental health in my own family's history. My, my father's sister had had a serious uh, series of episodes, which were, you know, not l talked about a lot, but certainly were part of our, our, uh, you know, family life. Um, but I think the thing that really, that really made me wake up was my own experience. I mean, I, I was going along well. I, I had just Oxford University. I just finished my degree, my MPhil. Um, I was starting to work on a doctorate. And um, I'd been going back and forth between Canada and the UK. And, and I think that kind of triggered something. I also had a, an emotional relationship that didn't work out. And, and all those things kind of came together. I went was back in England. And I remember when it happened. It was September of... Uh, of 1972, and uh, I kind of felt I hit a wall. And um, I, I was living with a couple of friends, and they noticed that I was, uh, you know, staying in my room a lot. That I wasn't uh, getting out. I, I was uh, when I spoke, I was quite soft-spoken and quite nervous. And and what what it really reflected was what I realized was just I'd completely lost my sense of confidence and my sense of bearings. I, I, I became very anxious about going outside. Uh, I couldn't go to libraries. Every, every single book I read sort of intimidated me. I, I just became very, I'd previously been very self-confident, very sure of myself. And as I realized later, probably too sure of myself. And um, I really went into a, 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 a pretty bad, uh, pretty bad fog. I don't know how to describe it, except it wasn't just feeling sad or feeling uncertain. 
I, I realized that I was depressed. Luckily, uh, one of the people that I was living with at the time was a doctor uh, or a woman who was studying medicine, uh, who was a very good friend of mine. And and she said, I, I think you're depressed. I think you have to see somebody. So I wasn't really prepared to do that. So of course I did what many people who are avoiding things do. I, I traveled. So I came back to to uh, to uh, New York to see my parents and they noticed that I really wasn't myself at all. So I was unhappy with them for being on my case. So I left again and I went up to uh, stay with a friend, Mike Lignatiev in Boston. And and it took me a long time to kind of come to grips with the fact that I was really um, needed help. Uh, so finally I ended up in London again and uh, I went to see a therapist and, and he began to talk to me about uh, getting me to talk about myself, getting me to talk about uh, what I was facing, what I was uh, struggling with, uh, and I realized that I, you know, he said, "Look, you've, you've, uh, you've had a kind of a breakdown. Uh, it's not the end of the world. Uh, it's the end of whatever, whatever you thought you were in before. But you've got to try to build something new." And and we went through it, and I stayed with him uh, as a therapist for several months. Um, and then decided that, you know, he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I think I need to get back to Canada and get into, you know, what I think I really want to do. And that is to is to go to law school. So finally, I ended up doing that. And and uh, in the meantime, I'd been working a lot in a community legal aid center. Uh, I I'd sort of I, I did the, the sort of the walking therapy and the talking therapy and the therapy by doing. Um, and I was given a lot of space. I have to give my family, uh, my parents, full credit. Uh, they gave me a lot of space. And basically, uh, was if you looked at a resume, you'd say, "Well, that's two years. You've you've kind of been on, on a journey." And and frankly, you know, I was very lucky. I had the time and space to be able to do it. I, it took longer than probably you know. And sometimes you look back and say, "Gee, that was a long time to be, to be wandering in this sort of really." strange fog that I was in. But I think I got a lot, of, a lot of insight in the process. I understood myself better. I explored parts of my previous relationships and ambitions that I'd had and things that I wanted to do and, and became much more at ease with myself, with my own um, sense of where I wanted to go. Um, but the therapist said something to me at, towards the end of our time together. He said, look, uh, I know you think that, you know, this is over now, you, you, you're cured, you're all better, he said, but uh, you're, this is going to be with you for your whole life. You're, you're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to be different because of what you've experienced and you're going to be aware of yourself and you're going to be more aware of others and actually said, you're, you know, you're going to be a better person. He said, forget about your CV, forget about, I was very self-conscious of the fact that people would ask me, what are you doing these days? Or, you know, people put you on the spot. You think that's a simple question to answer, but actually it was really difficult. But lucky I had a lot of very understanding people around me who supported me and helped me get through it. And so I, I, I did. Um, I've had a couple of recurrences. Um, when my brother died, my brother David died, I went into a deep uh, spiral. I was leader of the provincial party at the time, the NDP. I was in the house of the legislature every day. And I, I went to see a therapist in Toronto and, and I, you know, I was very self-conscious of the fact that I was back again. And he said, no, it's perfectly understandable. You've gone through a terrible trauma. You know, you've, you've watched your brother 
die. You've tried to help him with a bone marrow transplant. You've you've been very emotionally caught up. And he said, you're 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 you're, you're you've still got ways to go to understand the emotional side of life. And um, I think that was a big help when he um, when he told me that it was okay to go through these bouts again. And I haven't had a serious episode since, but I'm very aware of of the potential, and I'm also constantly aware of the challenges that other people are facing. I think it's in that sense, I think it's probably made me maybe kinder, not only to myself, but perhaps a little kinder to others as well. And Bob, you went through that, particularly that second episode, very much in the public eye. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, that. Uh, so, you know, one of the concerns that I think we have as leaders in, in any organization is how we make sure we deal with the question of stigma around mental health. But of course, you were right at sort of the crucible of, of a, a public life where um, it kind of brings into the starkest relief questions of stigma. What what was your experience there? How did you find that that sort of public scrutiny um, complicated or maybe helped uh, you deal with the situation? Well, I, I mean, I, I have to say at the time of my second episode, I didn't discuss it with, with anyone except my family. Uh, by that time, I was married, had three children. Um, and I and I and and I, I you know I wasn't I I had already in 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 conversation with people and in other uh, other ways I think people knew that I'd gone through a period I mean I didn't didn't hide it I didn't deny it I didn't uh, sort of attempt to pretend that it hadn't happened but um, I, I think um, it's hard if you're at the very time I mean I, can't, I don't think you can say that. If you're leader of the opposition and you're you're getting some help with something that you don't have to disclose it. It's something that you're just going through and and you get out the other side. I, I think the thing that I felt very strongly was um, that uh, we're we're always better off with with people who've who've been through episodes and who understand it. And and I, you know, as I read more and read more at the time, and you know, you read about all kinds of people who've had episodes or periods of time when they weren't. They weren't sure what was going on, and they've had quite some cases, quite serious bouts of depression or anxiety. I think the harder instances are, are, are you know, the truly psychotic episodes, which we now know do do come and go. I mean, people do have them, and then they get much much better. And actually, I, as a social worker in London, I had a, a woman that I that I knew very well who had a psychotic episode and then came out of it, and and um, she was. She came out of it, and it happens. I mean, I think we have this mythology of mental health is that you never get better. Well, the actual the reality of the situation is that in most cases, you actually do get better. Um, and in some cases, you don't, but in many, many cases, you do. Et pour vous, comme, comme leader, quelles étaient les leçons de vos expériences? Um, pour vous, comme individu, mais aussi pour uh, vos organisations? Eh bien, pour moi, comme individu, je crois, je crois que j'ai appris euh, des leçons importantes. D'abord, euh, qu'il faut être gentil, euh, mais avant tout, il faut être, il faut être gentil à, à nous-mêmes. Il, il, faut, il faut reconnaître qu'on n'est pas parfait, qu'on on on fait des fautes, euh, on commet des erreurs. Euh, Ce n'est pas la fin du monde. Il, il, faut, euh, il faut avoir un sens de de compassion euh, envers nous-mêmes d'abord, et ça commence avec, 
avec nous, ça commence avec, avec notre propre situation. Mais ensuite, il faut qu'on passe la leçon à apprendre comment vraiment comprendre que chacun qu'on qu rencontre a des problèmes, chacun a des défis, chacun a une bataille qui, dans la vie, que, que la vie n'est pas facile ni, ni, ni pour, pour, pour personne, la vie, la vie est difficile et complexe pour tout le monde. Et comme politique, je crois que comme j'étais, je, je suis devenu euh, euh, premier ministre de, de l'Ontario en 1990 et, et moi j'ai donné un, un, un vrai focus aux, aux situations de santé mentale et d'essayer de, de changer la politique de la province un peu dans une bonne direction. Et je crois qu'on a, on a fait des bonnes choses. Malheureusement, tous les, les efforts qu'on a faits n'ont pas, pas complètement continué, mais il y a beaucoup qui ont continué. Et ça continue pour moi dans le travail qu que j'ai fait dans le fédéral, que j'ai fait dans le travail que avec, euh, euh, avec la, la population autochtone dans, dans ma province à travers le pays. Alors pour moi, c est, c est, et, et maintenant à l'ONU, c'est quelque chose que... Je suis le chef d'un groupe des amis de, 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 la, de la santé mentale, euh, ce qui veut dire que dans, dans l'activité de l'ONU, on, on essaie de, de, de faire un effort. Et dans mon travail comme chef de la mission, je commence chaque meeting que j'ai avec mon groupe, c'est de dire que je veux renforcer l'idée. Euh, J'insiste sur l'importance de la santé mentale. Si vous avez des problèmes, il faut qu'on qu vous donne l'assistance dont vous avez besoin. Et je pense qu'avec le COVID-19, euh, <rire> j'ai vécu assez euh, un peu le, les difficultés qu'ont les gens et puis l'importance de faire un effort pour faire face à ces problèmes. Et, et, et je, effectivement, je crois que l'expérience que j'ai eue a changé, a changé mes idées, a changé mon travail comme chef et a changé jusqu'à quel point je, je, je parle directement aux gens de dire, écoutez, moi j'ai eu la dépression, j'ai eu l'anxiété, je le comprends, c'est une expérience que, qui, qui n'est pas, euh, pas petite, il ne euh, faut pas minimiser l'importance de cette expérience, mais il faut encore faire face au, à la réalité de la situation que ça peut améliorer, les choses peuvent changer et toujours donner aux gens un peu d'espoir, un peu de sens qu'avec la solidarité que nous pouvons montrer le, les uns et les autres, on, on peut faire un progrès important. You know, Bob, you mentioned earlier your own sort of um, personal history with respect to mental illness in the family. And I, I think it's one of those issues that's of particular importance in the foreign service community where, you know, we, we obviously in any work situation, you're sort of conscious of people's private lives and the challenges they face. But I think it's particularly true in the foreign service where we're, we're asking people to move their children and move their families uh, to all sorts of different situations. And I'm kind of interested in your reflections as to how we as an organization can best kind of support people. Um, you know, it's particularly pronounced right now during the COVID situation, but it's it's generally an issue. And, I, you know, I, 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 I am mindful of this. Uh, I've moved my family around the world, and uh, I know you were the product of, of uh, a similar sort of upbringing. Um, you know, what, what do you, you're now in our system. How, what, what would you think we could be doing 
to be particularly supportive of our community in its broadest sense? Well, I think one thing that's true of me, and I didn't know it at the time, but I only just I only really realized it when I had my 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 sort of traumatic experience with depression, and that was that while I handled moving around a lot really well when I moved around a lot as a kid, and we didn't go to any hardship places. I mean, I was in Washington and London and Geneva, and and uh, you know came back to came back to Canada. So I, I can't say that I you know I I, I did not have <laughs> I did not have a rough life. That's not what I'm saying, but it's interesting because out of the, my experience at the international school, um, in hearing from my friends in in the international school over many years, a lot of our a lot of our classmates had trouble uh, when they came out of university, or they weren't sure where they belonged. They weren't sure um, which country was theirs. They weren't sure uh, about some fundamental issues about their own sort of identity uh, and and I I know I know that that's something that I think is endemic in in diplomatic kids uh, I think it's a real challenge for kids growing up to know where where do you fit in do I fit in here do I fit in there you're going from school to school I think it is a I think it's a developmental issue for for kids but I also think it's for their parents I think it's challenging um, it's quite a competitive. It's quite competitive work. Um, you're, I mean, you're constantly competing for the post you want to go on. You're competing with other people who came into the service at the same time as you did, and temporarily they may be doing better than you, or you may be doing better than them. You may have chosen a particular focus that you're no longer that interested in. There's all kinds of what I would call sort of occupational trauma that you know that affect you know, diplomats. And you got to sort of say, okay, how can we provide people with the kind of understanding that it's okay to put all these problems on the table. It's okay to throw all this stuff out there. Um, I think that, we you know, we tend, all of us as human beings, we tend to internalize a lot of this stuff. We should be kind of saying, look, um, there's nothing wrong with having mental health challenges and being a diplomat. In fact, it's it's normal. All we're doing is admitting to them now. I mean, it's not as if this is some new thing that Somehow, you know, the, the great generation who worked in the 40s and 50s and 60s didn't have a problem. Of course, they had a problem. Um, I think alcoholism is a problem. I think, I think, you know, broadly speaking, uh, you know, all these things are issues that affect people of a generation and, and, affect, uh, and affect ours in a different way as well. So I think we just have to be sensitive about what are the things that go there. I mean, even something like evaluations. The evaluation process in the department is extremely formal, quite rigorous, very tough. I don't know. I mean, you don't, if you're a lawyer working in a law firm, you don't get evaluated in that way. All that happens is you make a little bit less money and you get mad about it, but then you realize you're making so much more money than anybody else that you, you learn how to. But I mean, these are the things that we need to talk about more. Like what is a specific program for people who are in this occupation I mean, we talk about it in the military because the traumas that they face are, are, are very, very real and very public. And now we're beginning to really understand them. But I think we have to broaden that sensitivity, uh, really across the public service and and certainly in the diplomatic service. I think it would make a lot of sense. And we're we're, I would make the observation that we're better at saying we, we really understand the problems you're going through. We're better at saying it than we are at actually 
doing enough about it. And I think right now, I think there's an issue about how much are we really doing in practice to show that we we practice what we preach about mental health. And I think that's going to be a, an ongoing challenge for us in the, in the Foreign Service. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I mean, I, I think, I guess I think a few things. We've done a few of these conversations now in part to highlight some of the services that are available to people and we are seeing that those are being used you know we um we do have counselors who are available to people around the world including our locally engaged staff and that's that's something that um isn't new but is you know we've we've augmented to some degree and i think is really important but it's also critically important as you say that it is this isn't just a sort of symbolic exercise where we're we're simply paying lip service to a problem but that we're actually collectively kind of you know, trying our best to deal with the problems as they arise. And uh, that's partially through uh, trying to make our systems as humane as possible. Um, but I think it's also through making sure that the leaders through the system are uh, attuned to the challenges that people are going through and, and are, you know, doing their best to try and uh, accommodate people as they're going through pretty difficult circumstances, particularly right now. Um, and I guess I, you know, I, I was reflecting on this before we got a chance to start chatting. And I, I think it was Chris Hatfield said relatively recently that one of the things he wished he'd known when he was 21 is that everyone is struggling, yeah. um, which I think is a profound thing. And I think, you know, it's why I'm grateful for you, you know, being as, as uh, open as you are about these conversations, because I think it's really, really important for people who have been successful to talk about the challenges that they faced. I, I, I just think it's critical for, for particularly for young people to be able to see you can be going through these things and you will get to the other side of it and yes. you will, and you'll learn from it and you'll be better for it in some ways. I mean, I think you, you your reflections on leadership, I think are, are really important. Well, I think it's, I think that's, I mean, I think it's, it's also interesting to me. I think I feel quite positive about the fact that, um, I mean, when I wrote, uh, talked about this uh, quite a bit, um, different reporters said, I heard you, you know, I heard you have a history of mental illness. I said, yeah, I do. You want to talk about it? And the reporters would be very taken aback. said, okay. So, I mean, I, I, I have talked about it with people. Uh, I did early on in my political career. And there were people who said to me, um, don't do that. Uh, you know, just shut up about it because, uh, you know, nobody wants to vote for a crazy person. And I said, well, I think they probably do. I think you're wrong. I think that, that people actually have more understanding and compassion. And Michael Kirby said he wrote his, when he wrote his report, which really, I think, gave a national prominence to mental health as part of the healthcare system. Michael Kirby said, you know, everybody has, everybody knows somebody or is themselves or has a family member who is going through this. So why do we keep on pretending that it's just something that we have to keep buried in a corner somewhere? And I, I felt, I thought he was right. And uh, I, I certainly feel that way. And I, I mean, I know there are people who look, who, you know, might take me and say, well, that's just Bob being emotional again, or, you know, well, you know, he's not totally reliable, but they, you know, I'm, I'm unreliable for so many other reasons that I don't, I don't think that's the big one. Uh, but it's also because I think I, I, I feel in my own life that um, I'm, I'm really strongest when 
uh, when I'm not trying to be perfect. You know, when I when I encourage people to make, I say, make mistakes. You know, you're you're better off making mistakes than not making mistakes. You're you're better off doing something, even if it's the wrong thing to do, and then figure out, well, what have I learned? What have I learned from this? And learn how to apologize and learn how to figure out how to stop doing something wrong that you've been doing. But uh, I mean, I think you know we can. It, it really has helped me a lot to, uh, I think, you know, manage my own life a little better, mainly, <laughs> and and I think, you know, help try to help steer people in 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 good directions when they're being hard on themselves. Because I think a lot of what you know is the most common neuroses that people have stems from this exaggerated sense of the need to be perfect. And uh, I, I I think that's something that I've I'm pretty well cured of that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, un grand grand merci, Bob. C'est vraiment un plaisir d'avoir uh, cette occasion. Avez-vous des remarques uh, finales concernant ce sujet? Non, je pense que pour moi, le, le grand ennemi de, de la santé mentale, c'est c'est un sens qu'il faut être il faut être parfait. La perfection. Et franchement, je crois que la perfection, c'est l'ennemi du, du, du bien, c'est l'ennemi du, du possible, c'est l'ennemi de, euh, de la nécessité de, comme j'ai dit avant, d'être avant tout d'être d'être gentil. Uh, we, we must uh, we must love each other and we must love ourselves uh, and we must be kind. And I think that um, I don't always practice that as much as I should. I think that. Certainly in political battles, I've not always been kind. Um, uh, sometimes I have a tendency to want to be clever rather than a tendency to want to be kind. But I think as you get older, you learn how to put things in perspective. And I think I think kindness is the, is the road to wisdom. I think that's a profound point to end on. Thanks so much, Bob. Really Thank do you. appreciate it. Thanks so much. Nice to see you. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us for future episodes of The GAC Files, a podcast about the people, issues, and ideas driving Global Affairs Canada. Don't forget to join the conversation online using hashtag GAC Files. Merci d'avoir écouté le balado, et nous espérons que vous vous joindrez à nous pour les épisodes futurs des dossiers d'AMC. Un balado sur les gens, les enjeux et les idées qui animent Affaires mondiales Canada. N'oubliez pas de vous joindre à la conversation en ligne en utilisant le hashtag Dossier d'AMC. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics or guests, please send us an email at extott-ldce at international.gc.ca. Si vous avez des commentaires ou des suggestions concernant des sujets futurs ou des nouveaux invités, vous pouvez communiquer avec nous par courriel à l'adresse extott tiret ldce à commercial international.gc.ca